be. We've been walking through the gospel according to Luke. That's the book that we've been in. Uh, what we do here is we just walk through books of the Bible to see the, the whole of Scripture, all that it's saying, all that it wants to teach us so we don't really miss anything. We hopefully get the fullest counsel of God we can uh, so we see why verses matter to other verses. We try not to just pull and pick and choose, but let's let the Word speak for itself. Let's let the Word, let the word infer and teach the words of the Word, if I can say that. Um, uh, scripture just interprets Scripture. Uh, so that's what we're doing, and we're in the gospel according to Luke. And, and Luke is one of four gospel writers who basically writes to this guy, Theophilus, who is likely a Roman official, to persuade and teach him that the life and teachings of Jesus aren't just so you know more information, but so that you're transformed by that information. So I'm going to keep saying it over and over. We are not a group of people that just want to grow up in knowing more stuff. Okay, We want all of that great, glorious stuff to come into our hearts and be the outflow of our life so we live good good works for Jesus out of love full of Jesus by knowing him, serving him, worshiping him. And so we want to be transformed. We just want to come in here and, and hear some good new truths and leave the same. We pray every single week that we would come in and leave transformed. So by God's grace, we've been seeing that happen. People come in uh, in their old life and leaving in a new life. People whose marriages were in one place, leaving in marriages in a different place, more in line with Jesus, focusing on Jesus, pursuing Jesus. That's our hope, goal, and dream. That's God's dream for his people that we would know, love him more, and therefore be transformed into the image of his son, Jesus. So we're in gospel of Luke looking at this Jesus, this Jesus who came and is on his way to Jerusalem. We kind of hit the, the door hinge of this book where he's now, his face is set towards Jerusalem where he will go and be crucified and die. And there, there's a section this morning we're going to look at right before actually we get to the Lord's Prayer. Some of you maybe thought we were going right to the Lord's Prayer. We're going to do, actually I think, spend a, a few weeks in that following this week because I really think there's some things that God wants to do in us in regards to prayer that I'm, I'm excited for. Um, but this morning is five verses that are so easy to miss, yet they're huge. Like, they're, they're, they're so, this is, I think, it's only found in Luke's gospel. It's just five verses dealing with Mary and Martha. Jesus comes to the house, and I think if you're not careful, you'll, you'll breeze past us and miss one of the most important things Jesus wants to teach us. And of course, as God would have it in his providence, it's, it, it, what you're going to hear this morning is really just something seriously particular to this week that God had been pressing and teaching me, and of course, it would ha we'd happen to be uh, in the very thing that he's uh, teaching and, and encouraging me in. So um, that's what we're going to see. This is going to be a little bit more of a, of a family affair, more of let's dialogue as, as the covenant family. If you're not a Christian, we're, we're thrilled you're here. We hope as you listen in, as you discern the things that you hear that will teach you more about who Jesus is, why we do what we do here. Um, but if, if you're a regular attender here, especially, this is my heart for you. Um, a lot of what's going to come out today is just uh, much of what God has been Revealing and showing me this this week. So uh, Luke chapter 10 is where we're at. And uh, here's where we're going to pick up in uh, verse, I believe it's 38. And uh, as we get in, here's just the question I want you to ask yourself. Real simple question. You, you can read almost, you know, 10 different commentators on this passage. And they're all pretty much, and it's rare that always happens, but unanimously get kind of the same uh, interpretation. And so here, here's the question I want to ask you all that, that I came to this week is, and it's very simple, what drives you? I'm not talking about your car, like, did you come in a Lamborghini or a Pinto? I'm, I'm saying, what drives your heart? Like, what's the one thing every single day you have to have it? And if you don't, you're wrecked. Like, 
It's very simple, right? It shouldn't take you a long time. Now, if you're trying to just be like the, the cute Christian with a Christian answer, and you're like, mm, I don't know, i got to think of something religious or Jesus-centered to say. No, no, just, just be honest, be real. What is the one thing that every single day you wake up is, if I don't do this, if I don't have this, if this isn't laid before me, if this isn't a part of my day, then I'm ruined. What's ultimate in your day every single day? Think about that. We all have one. And Jesus is really going to get after all the things we chase, all the things we want that aren't him really. And that's what, so keep that in the back of your mind because we're going to come back to that question later. Verse 38, here's what uh, Luke writes. As they're on their way to Jerusalem, as they're on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed her, him into her house. Probably Martha Stewart. They just left that last name out. We're going to see why. She really is Martha Stewart of the New Testament scriptures. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Not a good day when you start bossing Jesus, right? (laughs) Not a good day. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious, you're troubled about many things. One thing is necessary. There's a word to circle in your Bible, circle necessary. You've got to remember, when you're reading the Bible, Jesus is not just talking to ethereal people, real people, and by default, he's speaking to you. He's saying, Mike, Rob, Justin, Sarah, Mark, one thing's necessary. Mary chose the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. All right, we're just gonna we're gonna leave this up. We're gonna jump a little bit to a few other texts. We're gonna leave this up for the majority of the time and just kind of walk through this beautiful, short little section that's only Luke that God in His providence has placed here for Jesus to teach us. So um, Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem, and and as He's going, He passes villages, He passes towns, and and He's the best teacher that ever exists. So what He does is He teaches the whole way there. So He teaches about everything. He's proclaiming who He is and what He's going to do. So He'll stop at towns, He'll stop at villages, He'll stop at houses, and He'll and He'll teach. And He was He was the best teacher. And he taught about the best things spiritually speaking. He taught the fullness of demons and Satan and the Holy Spirit and future judgment, how to have salvation, how to handle your money and how to look at life and how to look at marriage. He taught everything. He's a beautiful teacher and as he's going, he's teaching. Jesus is constantly teaching. He's teaching his disciples how to do helpful evangelism, how to see the world, how to see people. Jesus is constantly, constantly, constantly teaching. We go on and on and on. So Jesus is teaching in a particular village, and a woman named Martha invites Jesus into her home. She's hospitable. She loves to cook. She loves to serve. She loves to welcome guests. She's doing tremendously commendable things. So she sees Jesus, and she welcomes him in. And she's got a sister named Mary. Now, we don't know if she's a, a widow, Martha. There no, no husband's really mentioned. Um, but all we know is she's there with her sister Mary. They're in the house. They welcome Jesus in. And Jesus starts doing what he always does when he enters a town, enters a village, enters a space, enters a house. He starts teaching. So here he is. He's, he's teaching. We don't know what he's teaching. But listen, you can bet whatever he's teaching is profound. Okay? Like, you don't need to wonder, is his sermon going to be good today? Like if Jesus was preaching here at Church of Bergen every single week, no sermon would be bad. It'd be flawless. It'd be perfect. And exegesis, Jesus, all that Jesus is trying to say because it's literally about him, so he'd be the best one to tell you about himself, he would be given the best sermon ever. So he's, whether he's in a house or in the synagogue or the Sermon on the Mount, it is the best sermon you've ever heard. 
He's laying before them divine truth. The source of divine truth is speaking divine truth in their house. What? Right? Just think about it, just that for a second. So here they are, and here's what's interesting about Mary. We don't know anything about Mary other than one thing. She's at the feet of Jesus, and she just so wants to hear what he says. We know a lot about Martha. Martha's a busybody. Martha loves to serve, loves to do, loves to, you know, invite strangers in, invite guests in, loves to show hospitality. She's following a lot of beautiful commands in the New Testament. But there's something about Mary. Mary just loves sitting at the feet of Jesus. She loves hearing from Jesus. She loves spending time with Jesus. So, it's important to understand that it's not just important for people who don't know Jesus to hear from Jesus. Like, I feel like sometimes we're like, well, yeah, I mean, the people who really need to know divine truth, the people who really need to be understanding what this says is the agnostic, the, the pragmatist, the mystic, the indifferent, the atheist. No, did you know, more importantly, it's you as a Christian. Like, people who know Jesus need to keep hearing from Jesus. Like, we need to keep pressing in, keep learning from him, keep hearing from him, keep being taught all that Jesus is and all that Jesus will do. That is super, super, super important for those of us who are Christians. So we're saved by God's word, and we're also sanctified by God's word. It's imperative. So as Mary's sitting, Martha's serving. Look at verse 40. Look at the issue. But Martha was distracted. The serving wasn't the problem. Like, it wasn't like bad or wrong of her to serve. It's that she was distracted. She was pulled away from, she was lured away from what was primary, the thing that was good. And it says she was distracted with much serving. Martha loved Jesus, believed in Jesus, but she totally missed it. And here's the thing. What's distracting her from sitting at the feet of Jesus? Good things. Not some outright morally wicked thing. She's not out prostituting herself. She's not out just trying to preach a pagan religion. She's, not, she's doing good, commendable, godly things. And even those things are taking her away from what the primary thing should be, sitting at the feet of Jesus. So here she is preparing where Jesus will sleep, cooking food. Her highest concern in the house is having perfect order. And it's pulling her away from the primary thing. So as she's doing these godly things, being hospitable, welcoming people into her home, let's be careful we don't say first, hey, be like Mary, don't be like Martha. You got to be careful there too, okay? We're going to get to the main point of the passage, but before you start throwing stones at Martha, understand these are good things. It's the right things. Christians should be doing that. should be welcoming in strangers. It should be loving the least of these. They should be inviting and talking to their neighbors and, and being welcoming and being servants, Right? doing all these great things. We need to be careful of that. I don't doubt she had a desire to you know, know Jesus or listen to Jesus. I mean, understand, Jesus wouldn't even be in the house if it weren't for Martha. Mary didn't invite her in. Martha did. So she started out right. She started out pure, started out good. So let's hold on to that side of Martha, okay? But here's where she missed it. She was distracted, right? As Mary's taking time to hear the infinite worth of the words of Jesus, Martha busied herself. Until, like many of us, 
when you neglect being with Jesus, your heart goes weird and then your mouth goes weird, right? Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So, so here, here, as she's busying herself, neglecting Jesus, getting away from Jesus, her, starts, her heart starts getting weird, and then her mouth gets weird. She starts saying insane things. And you can just see it right here in the text. It's amazing. She is annoyed. She's irritated. She's just all, all frustration. Of, and now, now the good, godly act of hospitality has dysfunction in it. So you can even go do good works for Jesus, but they'll be dysfunctional if they're not attached to Jesus. Right? So look at this here. This is so amazing. And, and this, this happens in, in, in our house a lot. I mean, that's why I love, I mean, I love my, my wife, Kristen, for many reasons. But one in particular, she's not afraid to just tell me when my heart's off. So, and, and we will always trace it back, always without fail, to whether we've been with Jesus or not. So I remember just the other day, uh, we were having a conversation. She just looked at me and was like, babe, you been with Jesus today? And I was like, why? She's like, you're a little off. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> right? Like, She's like, yeah, there's just irritation. There's temperament change. There's, there's some shortness. I was like, go get with Jesus and come back and we'll talk. Oh, yes, ma'am. You know, so, so I honestly, so I leave and I just get my face in my Bible and come back and talk. I mean, we'll do that multiple times a week where we'll actually be able to tell when the other hasn't been with Jesus. Because when you have been with Jesus and then you neglect him, it's just obvious. Your heart starts getting weird, and you're not realigned, you're not refocused, you're not in on what God is trying to teach you and show you. And so here, Martha does this. As her heart gets weird, she's irritated, angry. Instead of listening to Jesus, she walks up to Jesus and starts commanding him. Insane. Hey, hey Jesus, um, hey, great sermon, but my sister is not helping me. Can, can you... I mean, I mean, I know you're, you're laying before the people here, probably more than Mary, laying before the people because he had a huge crowd. I mean, I know you're laying before all these people, divine, mind-altering, joy-producing truths, but the pots are hot. The table's not set. Like, don't you, don't you care? I mean, she asked Jesus, the God of the universe, if he cares. I'm sure he's going, yeah, I'm on my way to take on the wrath of God towards sin. Do I care? I mean, I'm the one that you cast your cares on because I care for you. What do you mean do I? She starts saying insane things to Jesus. Her mind is just saying insane things because she's been neglecting being with him and sitting with him and learning from him. And so now as her heart weirds, her mouth is weird, and she's just saying and bossing Jesus. We all know that happens to us, right? We neglect time with him. We start bossing him for things that are happening in our life. We start bossing him for how he should run the universe. We start bossing you just insert, insert, insert amazing what we're, we're seeing here it's just we're seeing a picture of what happens I love this a glimpse into the heart of God he's so gracious right if we want to know what God is like we just look at Jesus and he looks at her and it's endearing it's comforting it's compassionate he says his, her name twice Martha Martha you can hear him saying it now he could have just like gone nuts on her right he had every right Really, you're going to tell me who can listen to me, what, what I should be telling people to do? I made you. I spoke this into existence. I made food. I made your table. Like I made matter and atoms. What do you mean you're going to tell me what we should do and not do? He could have done that, but he was so gracious, so compassionate, and he just says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious, you're troubled, but one thing's necessary. Hey, Mary, your sister, she, she's choosing the right thing. She gets it. Priorities. Mary first, Martha second. She understands that. And nothing will ever be taken from her that she hears from me. 
Jesus is basically going, let's think through this for a minute. I'm God. You're troubled. You're anxious. You're wired. You're frustrated that I'm over here. And why didn't Jesus call ahead of time? Why does he have so many guests? I don't even have enough bedrooms. How am I going to make enough food for all these people? I get that. I, I hear what you're saying. I hear, I hear what's in your heart. I hear what's in your head. I hear what's going on inside you. And as he's walking with her, he goes, hey, let, let's, let's just, one thing can't give, though. Me. The table can wait. The pots can wait. The food can wait. You know what can't wait? Spending time with me. You know, a meal eventually runs out of steam and you're hungry again. The meal I give you, there's something something permanent about it. There's something eternal about it. Like you feast on the things I say. It actually is sowing into your soul everlasting, eternal value, eternal nourishment, eternal focus, eternal perspective, eternal understanding. So, So that can wait. The good portion is me. I almost, I almost hear Jesus reciting Deuteronomy 8 here. Where it says that man doesn't live by bread alone, but he lives on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now we know that Jesus is God. It, literally these words are proceeding out of the, the very mouth of God. We know the words of God now are right in this book that we have the very words of God written for us to know him, know what he's like, know how we operate, know how the world was designed and wired and fashioned. So, so, so he's saying almost like, hey, you, what you're living off of this good portion you're trying to make and give to people, you're missing the best portion. You're missing the best meal that'll never run out of steam, that'll never end, that'll never leave you unsatisfied. You're missing out on sitting with me and learning things that are eternal. You start sowing me and what I say into your life, it will bring you greater joy in Jesus, what will bring you greater joy in Jesus forever. It's profound what Jesus is laying before Martha here. He's basically saying it shouldn't bother you that the house isn't ready yet. It should bother you that you're not spending time with me. Like it shouldn't bother you that your to-do list isn't finished. It should bother you that you're not spending time with me. You know, this isn't Jesus condemning her. He's inviting her in. He's inviting her to worship. He's, he's calling her to his feet. He's not just lambasting her. Say, hey, come sit at my feet. Come get the best portion. Come and join me. Hey, all your cooking lists, to-do lists, all these things, hey, that can wait, that can wait. Sit with me. Hear from me. Learn from me. Now, before we discuss the main point, let's just press pause for a second, okay? I want to take a little halftime show. Preview. Stop. Are you... Just wondering, because this comes up, obviously, are you Mary or Martha? Because you can sin differently in both ways, if you're not careful, right? So are you Mary, you sit and never do? Or are you Martha, only you do and you never sit? Because hear me, Mary could sin in the completely opposite way if all she ever does is sit at Jesus' feet and never gets up and never uses that as the fuel to walk, right? Right? At the same time, Martha, she just busies herself and does things and never sits and stops and meditates and listens. She's equally sinful in a different way because she's not gaining and being fueled by Jesus to have love for Jesus, to do good works in Jesus' name. 
Okay, so, 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 both, so where do you land here? Because, I mean, I know some of you, man, you just swallow up theology, swallow up the Bible. You know better hermeneutics than anybody, and you, you don't serve. You don't use that to disciple someone, pour into someone, serve the church, give yourself to the church. Do you just listen? Do you just sit and never get up and walk? Others of you, man, you're so busy serving, and praise God for your heart, but you never sit. You haven't opened up your Bible in months. You don't even know where it is. And you think by you serving and being busy, you're earning up righteousness, you're gaining favor. You're, and Jesus is lovingly saying, hold on a second, man, priorities are messed up here. Do you even know who I am? Do you even know how I've designed this thing to work, designed you to work? You're not going to make it. You're not going to survive just doing, doing, doing. So the point here with Jesus is Mary first, Martha second. That's the point. Mary first, with Jesus first, and then do second, get stuff done second. Worship God before you do, so your doing is worship, right? Do you remember back to uh, chapter 6? Let's go back to chapter 6 with Jesus for a minute. Same guy. That's why I love going through books. Look, look at what he said back in chapter 6, verse 46. You remember this? When he was teaching, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the floods arose and the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. And the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who builds his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. I love it. He gives basically a Mary and Martha picture here. Like, like the one who's sitting, listening, and then they're strong, there's foundation, the storms come, the streams reside, and you're still good. But then he gives the, the Martha complex where, man, you, you're just doing, you don't have any firm foundation, so just as soon as the waves come, as soon as the circumstances pile on, you're disheveled, you're anxious, you're distressed, you're destroyed. So how are you going to function without being dug into the well of Jesus first so you can go out and do so that as these things happen, you're sustained, you're good, you have a refuge, you have a place to stand on. So he's showing here that we listen to Jesus. When we sit with Jesus, we obey Jesus. So there's no like just sitting, no obeying. There's no just obeying with no sitting. It's both are together. You have to do both. But, but you don't know how to walk and how to land if you're not sitting listening. If you're not stopping to pray, stopping to meditate, stopping to look, your house is just straw. Some of you even now are living in the powerlessness of knowing what Jesus says because you don't walk in it. And you might be Mary who only sits and you never get up and walk in it. You don't obey. You know everything Jesus says, so you're a great listener. You're a fantastic listener. But, but there's zero, zero obedience. There's zero response. I mean, you're living a dichotomous life, and you refuse to do anything about it. And you hear what Jesus says about it. You sit at his feet every Sunday. Some of you know that the, the secret cyclical sin in your life, that you're living in the dark, you refuse to confess, you, you refuse to come out in the light. You, you know what's right and good, but you refuse to do anything about it. You're a great listener. You know all that Jesus says. You even have them memorize these scriptures. Right? 
mean, others of you know you can put to death certain sins by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, yet you refuse to do anything about it. Some of you sit with counselor after counselor, elder after elder, and, and you're counseled, you're encouraged, and you refuse to do anything about it. So just listening doesn't make you right or good or super holy or Mary's not more holy than Martha. But she's understanding something, and Martha is too. So where are you maybe rubbing the wrong way or swinging the pendulum one way that's too far? Because mere listening doesn't produce godliness. It's that fuel for you to get up and walk. Okay, now back to Jesus' point. This is how I want to round third base and come home. Jesus says to Martha, I love this, back to the text, I'm not taking Mary away from the best thing. I know you want her to help you with your serving and busyness, but I'm not going to take her away from the, what's necessary, what's, what the best thing is, what the most profound thing is, what the most helpful thing is. And this is where I think a lot of us err, and that's why I, I love that this is where Jesus is going. He's saying the serving can wait, the table can wait. Nothing's more important than knowing divine truth. Nothing should drive and shape you or form your life more than knowing me. So here's a question for us this morning. Um, What are the burning pots? What's the unset table? What, What are those thieves that are robbing you from the best thing? Consistently. It's likely it's consistent too. It's not, it's not like you're sitting there going, oh, wow, I never even... It's likely that that thing is continuing to set a habitual pattern in your life that, that before going to Jesus and sitting at his feet and learning from him and learning divine truth and being fueled for your day so you can actually operate and live in a way that pleases and honors him and also ultimately the best for your spouse, best for your children, best for your work, best for your coworkers, best for your manager, best for your whoever it is, chances are that thing is just habitual. It's constantly there vying time, luring you away. For Martha, I guarantee you, hospitality was always the thief in her life that robbed her from Jesus. So what are those things that are keeping you from being with Jesus regularly? Now, maybe the better question is, what are the good things that are robbing you from the best thing? I think, because here's my assumption. If you're a Christian in this room, it's really likely that it's not these outright morally wicked things that are keeping you, but these morally neutral things. Probably. Right, so, so, so the Bible says there's a lot of good things we do and, and good gifts that we have. So the issue is not that hospitality and serving and doing and loving your neighbor are bad things. They're, they're good things. The problem is, though, is not that those things are intrinsically wicked or sinful. The problem is you and I are intrinsically wicked and sinful. And so we take all the good things God gives, even the good commands God gives, and we even elevate those above the creator himself. So we have all this pursuit, all this steam, all this chasing after, all these good, commendable things. When it comes to him, there's none. Yet here's the thing. It's not about you being disciplined. It's not about you being able. You have amazing pursuit. What you love most, you chase most with all your vigor. You have no problem setting a schedule. You have no problem chasing after that thing, making sure it's right in your day at this certain time. You won't miss it for anything. Like it's, not, it's not about that. It's about you understanding the worth and the reality of what is really the better portion. What really is the good portion? It really doesn't have to do about us learning how to make 
better lanes for us. I think it has to do with the changing of our hearts where we understand that Jesus is the better portion. It doesn't have to do with concentration or pursuit. You've demonstrated that. We all demonstrate that, all of us. And so here Jesus is calling us to that. So it's likely the morally neutral things are sabotaging your time, opening up your Bible and getting your face in the Word. Super likely. Super likely they're good things. So what's the thief in your life like Martha? Now just so none of us feel alone, let me do some confessing, right? So I wake up at least once a week where I realize that I'm off here. And I have so much laid before me that I have to fight with all my energy to keep him first and see him as the prize and see him as the treasure and see him as the fuel that helps me to get up and walk. Now, now the more I pursue Jesus and the longer I pursue Jesus, yes, it happens less and less. And yes, I, I grow in diligence. I grow in seeing more of his beauty and loving him and enjoying him. But it's a walk and it's a labor and it's a fight and it's a war and a battle, Right? But it's a trajectory of enjoying him and pursuing him and grabbing hold of him more than less. This is why we just need silence. We need to stop. We need to listen. We need to focus. We need to pray. I was just telling, we, th- this past week for us in particular, for our home, there was a lot of weight, there was a lot of pressure. And I, I at one point said to Kristen, I said, I can't survive without this. Like, I don't know what you, th- listen, if you, if you claim to be a Christian and, and this is like never opened and never looked at, I don't know how you make it. Like, like, I don't know, in this culture, in this world, I don't know how you literally survive. Now, chances are, if you think you're surviving, you're not, right? You're fooling yourself. You're thinking that you're somehow making it. You're blind to the destruction around you. You're leaving just a, a wake of damage behind you, but you're just looking out front saying, everything's good, everything's honky-dory. Yeah, I don't need Jesus, need his word, but I'm, I'm good until you either eventually hit the wall or you're hitting the wall now, constantly stumbling, constantly falling. Man, I don't know how you survive. Like, I, I can't make it without being realigned and reminded of who he is and what he's done and what I've been saved from and how he wired me to live and work and function. Okay, this is happening. This is why this is happening. Okay, this is what's good and pleasing. This is the promise laid before me. I need to daily go to this. Like, I can't make it, especially in pastoring. What a train wreck that would be. I don't know how you literally survive without this. And I wonder if some of you are just buying the lie that you are. Because in a, in a sense, right, staying in this book is really what gets you to heaven. Now before you... Oh my goodness, he just said that Jesus alone doesn't get him to have. Obviously, you know, we preach, teach, labor, herald that Christ alone through faith alone gets you to heaven. Do you know where the primary means of grace he gave you to preserve you on that path is this? Like if, if you just neglect this, you, you think that you're a Christian? I mean, you, you think that that's somehow you're going to magically walk in heaven's doors just not knowing anything about him? 
I mean, the thing is, you, you can't make it. So God gives us graces. He gives us prayer. He gives us community. He gives us the Bible to keep us on the narrow path, right? He gives us his word to remind us of what he said, to remind us of the danger of sin, to remind us of the impending judgment, to remind us of what Christ has done. So when you feel condemned, you're reminded of his righteousness alone that clothes you. When you're, when you're just entangled in sin and not repentant of it, he reminds you, hey, don't stay there. That might be you living in the darkness. That means you might not be a Christian, so get in the light. Confess your sin. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's actually the means of grace he uses to keep you in his grip. Yes, Christ alone drags you into the kingdom, but he gave you his written revelation. He gave you his word to hold you fast. You can't survive without it. You can't. It's impossible for the Christian to go through life never reading this book and somehow walk through the gates of heaven. Not because of discipline, not because of them reading, because of what it's reminding them of. Because of what it's telling them. There's no way. We see people leave the faith and abandon the faith. I tell you, D.L. Moody had a great quote. He said, man, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Like, it's just that, it's just that honest. <laughs> right? And we either believe that or we don't. Now listen, that's why some of you guys that are stuck in just this never-ending just devastating cyclical sin. You don't know why you can't get out. I promise you probably haven't read your Bible in you can't remember when. Or you've disconnected from community. or It's always back to that. Because here's what's great about time alone with God. Is it's the only time I can't lie. You know what I'm saying? Now, if you're a Christian, you've been in the, you know that, right? Like, you can live all day long. Like, we can lie to anybody, right? We can make people believe we're something else. We can come into worship, make people believe that our disciplines are something when they're not, or we really live this way or love this. But, man, when I am alone with God and it's just me and him and he shows me what is true about me and about him, I'm just laid bare. I'm just exposed. I can't get away from it. You know what I'm saying? It's like the one time you can finally be honest, right? Like Psalm 139, search me, O God, test me, know my heart. I mean, see if there's any wicked way in me. I know you're the only one who can really do that. Like you knew everything about me anyway, so just unveil my heart to you. Man, search me. I mean, search even the places where I don't even see there's sin or there's, I'm off the rack or off the rail. I mean, please just show me where that is. I mean, that's what his word does. It's a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. It's amazing. Man, this is what Jesus is just getting at with Martha. You can't, this is necessary. And the Bible's necessary. It hit me this week as I was studying. I, I don't know if it's ever hit you, but it hit me this week where I go, man, I get whenever I want. Whenever I want, I get time alone with God. <laughs> like, like, I don't need to wait for my favorite podcast to be up from my favorite preacher. Like, like, I don't need to wait for this to happen. Man, any time you want, you get time alone with the God of the universe who's given you all he wants to say, who's taught you all that you need to know. <laughs> Whenever you want, you can pick up this book and read and spend time with him and pray to him and commune with him. That's powerful. That's profound. Now, I'm hesitant to swing it this way because I care so deeply for community. 
Okay, and you guys know I'm always going to preach and push and plead that God has absolutely given us brothers and sisters, given us the local church so that we are growing in our good works, so that we can love Jesus and love others. So don't hear me say this is a license for you to pull from community, okay? It's not. But I do think it's important and I do think it's necessary because I believe many of us never read our Bible. I believe many of us never pick up our Bible and read it for ourselves and spend time alone with God. I mean, you're great at coming together in your community group and talking about things of God. You're, you're great at coming into worship this morning and hearing from a preacher or hearing a sermon. When it comes to you and him, it's non-existent. Here's what a, a quote I read a long time ago that has always stuck with me. Because my fear is that so many of you are living vicariously through someone else's faith. Like you're living through mine. Like my sermon is what serves you the whole week. And somehow you ride off of me. That's dangerous. Some of you, it's just your community group. Where that's a good, godly, right place to be. Some of you guys just... That you live vicariously through the people around you in your community group. You don't have any right personal intimate relationship with God. It's just based upon everybody else, how they're doing. And you live through that. I read this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A lot of you guys know him, a Lutheran pastor in Germany during the Nazi regime. Ultimately hanged for his faith, what he believed. He said this. Whoever cannot be alone should be aware of community. Such people will only do harm to themselves and to the community. Alone you stood before God when he called you. Alone you had to obey God's voice. Alone you had to take up your cross, struggle and pray, and alone you will die and give an account to God. You cannot avoid yourself, for it is precisely God who has called you out. If you do not want to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you. And you can have no part in the community of those who are called. Okay, let's close in prayer, right? That's, that's weighty. I think he's on to something. That yes, community is beautiful and good and right. He designed you for that. We never pull ourselves out of that. He saved us not just to himself but to a people. We've talked about that over and over and over again. But when you stand before God on the day of judgment, you're not blaming anybody. No one's gonna be standing next to you going, oh, but he, but she, my wife, my husband, no, you. You. You're going to stand alone before him. And yes, the good, righteous work of Jesus Christ, the wrath-absorbing cross of Christ, for those of us who have leaned into that and trusted in that, are ransomed and rescued and walked through. But there's still an element of constantly, daily, Jesus alone going, it's your faith. It's your relationship with me. You have one or you don't, right? I mean, work out your salvation. Like, it's not, you're not just wrapped into the family of God based on lineage, based on brothers and sisters, based on your parents or Christians. You have to personally decide to follow Jesus, to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And believe that he's ransoming Savior of the world, that he is God, that he does atone for sin, that he is the sacrifice that you desperately need, that he is the one who is your substitute in your place. That's you. In the same way, you need to be alone with him. 
not just rely on other people. So let me ask you this practically. Do you have your day well thought out and planned? I'm still learning this. Where's the good portion? Where is it in your day? Let me tell you, the reason this is so important is the goal of the Bible is not reading it like a newspaper. Like there's nothing magical in just digesting it. Like it was designed to sit in, meditate, chew on, rub up against, conflict. That might be one verse for your day. Might be a chapter for your day. And, and this involves help. This involves community. This involves you reaching out to an elder and saying, hey, how do you study your Bible? Can you help me? This involves asking people in your community group, hey, how do you, how do you study the Bible? How do you walk with Jesus? What does your day look like? I mean, this is a community project in that sense? Absolutely. Getting alongside other good brothers and sisters. Look, I understand. Some of you guys are brand new Christians. Some of you guys just genuinely don't know. I don't know what to do. And so, so ask, reach out. And I see that happening, which is beautiful. Say, I don't, I don't know really where to start. And let me just say this. Man, the, the common grace of the age we live in with commentaries and, and the internet and being able to look stuff up and getting a study Bible and, oh my goodness. Guys, we, we could provide you resources. We could, I mean, just, just ask. Ask a brother or sister, how do you do? What do you use? What does this look like for you? How do you wire this into your day? How do you be Mary first, Martha second? You know, can I just say a, a quick word to, I know this is a lot, but um, the older men and women and then the younger men and women. And look, I, first to the older men and women. Let me just say first, I understand there is a biblical responsibility for me and other people to honor you, respect you, commend you. But I also believe there is a responsibility on my part to encourage you in a right, respectful way. So, so can I encourage you who are older in the faith, who have been doing this for a long time, that... that the scriptures teach that you have an obligation to teach the younger. And, and so my question to you is, how are you preparing for eternity and preparing others in that way? W would you go after some of the young men and women here and, and come alongside them, even if they don't ask you? Can I challenge you to that? That Titus 2 will say, hey, those who are older teach the younger. That 2 Timothy 2 will say, hey, we, we teach others, so they will teach others also. Now, I understand, if you're older and you just became a Christian, so this is new to you, that you, it doesn't matter. Age is not the, the reason, but look, there's a reason people live longer, have more life experience. Can, I just pray that we would see that here. Could I push you and prod you a little bit in that way? And, and, and secondly, the younger, there's this youthful arrogance that, that 20s have, early 30s, I guess I'm in that category, but I just call myself arrogant. Yeah, yeah, so I'm a little bit youthfully arrogant too, right? Can, can I just, some of you guys, man, people, older men and women have pursued you, sought you out, and you've refused. Can I, can I confront you a little bit in that, that that's just foolish and dangerous? Maybe you should get under them a little bit and learn from them and hear from them and see how they followed Jesus and what that's looked like. 
It'd be such a good thing for your soul. It'd be such a good thing for your love for Jesus. If you don't know anyone, just, I don't know, look around the room and say, Lord, lead me to somebody. Maybe they're in your community group already. It's a a good thing. This is why we as Christians, right, we start the first day of the week on Sunday, right? The day of the Lord's resurrection, right? Being reminded, sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing his word, growing in godliness, praying, taking time to meditate and sit so that we can be prepared for the week so that you start all over each day. Rinse and repeat and do the same thing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday till we come back on Sunday to be aligned and refocused on who Jesus is. And remember, there is, a, there is an enemy, man. If, I, if he can't make you bad, outright sinful, he'll just make you so busy. I feel like that's one of his greatest tactics, just, just to make you busy as ever, doing tons of stuff so you never get your face in your Bible, never get time with Jesus. This is something that's been pressing me a lot recently. He's just making me busy. I mean, you realize he wants to snatch the word. Every, every time you have a moment of inclination to want it, he's there to want to take it from you. I mean, you can't be unaware of this. I mean, the minute you sit down, you're like, I'm going my Bible. Oh, Got to make that phone call. I didn't read that newspaper article. Man, that article online that someone sent me, I haven't read it yet. Stop. Put it aside. That can wait, Martha. Right? Be merry. Get your face at his feet. And spend time believing no one will ever take it away from you. Like you're actually sowing divine things. Every time you choose the spirit, right? Galatians 6, it reaps life. Every time you choose according to the sinful nature, you reap death. So sinful nature is luring and temptation away from time with Jesus. So if you choose that over and over, it leads to death and destruction. If you choose Jesus to sow to the things of the spirit, it's promising you reward. I've never met anyone who said, man, I just spent too much time at Jesus' feet. Never heard it. Never heard it once. Right? No one's going to stand before the day of judgment and say, man, I wish I'd spent less time with you, who I'm going to spend the rest of my existence with. No one's going to say that. No one's going to say that. Right? You know what I learned and am learning? If you make Jesus last, you'll never get to him. It'll never happen. It's very simple. In our own habits, in our own minds, if you make Jesus last, you'll never get to him. Don't think it'll just magically happen. Don't think you'll just wake up one day starting. Jesus said Mary made the right choice. She chose the one thing that couldn't be taken from her. So when you're tempted with the newspaper, social media, phone call, I actually had to delete the apps for social media on my phone. Kristen helped me do that. She's so godly. She really is. Stop. Consider. Stop. You'll be so rewarded. So rewarded. For the Christian and non-Christian this morning, is Jesus your good portion? So here's the thing. Nothing else will restore your soul. I was in the back room, like I always do reviewing, and God brought Psalm 23 to my mind. I just want to read it before we close and sing and and worship. You guys are sure familiar with Psalm 23. Even if you're not a Christian, like I saw a coffee mug with that on one time. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Just those first three verses. At the feet of Jesus, 
He leads you beside still waters. Where do you go when you're anxious, there's turmoil, you're fretting, you're frustrated, you're just your anxiety is overcoming you. Do you go to Jesus' feet where he promises to lead you by still waters, not raging waters? Like he doesn't call you to himself to cause more rage in your boat. He causes still waters. Waters. He restores your soul. So here, Christian and non-Christian. Christian, you need to keep restoring your soul through sitting at the feet of Jesus. Nothing else is going to restore your soul. So whatever you make ultimate in your day isn't going to restore your soul. Like it's not going to quench the thirst. It's not going to satisfy you. Stop buying the lie that that thing that's ultimate in your life replaces time with Jesus and that that's going to somehow make things better. You're going to go more irritated, more discouraged, more distressed, more frustrated, more bent out of shape. And then for the non-Christian, what are you chasing that you think will restore your soul? What is that thing that you're searching for fullness of life, just looking for it, and whether you acknowledge it or not, you know that it can't provide it to you, and Jesus alone is the one who restores your soul. So what are you chasing? What are you after? Fame, career, prestige, popularity, women, friendships? What vice, what thing are you making ultimate that God has given you to be used to worship him and point you to he's the one who restores your soul, not the thing he gave you, So what gift are you abusing that is given you that's not restoring your soul because you're not looking at the creator, the very one who does it for you by coming and making peace with God, by becoming the substitute for you, by bearing your sin and gifting his righteousness. I remember talking a long time ago to a guy who was addicted to pornography, he wasn't a Christian. I remember he looked at me and said, man, I'm the one who's free. You're not. You're not free. You're in bondage to these rules and commands. And I said, really? Because you know what what I think? I think you're the one who's enslaved because you have to have that. And I don't have to have that because my soul's restored. Like I I don't need that vice to lay me beside still waters and satisfy my angst. So who's really free? You who's enslaved and has to have that, or me who doesn't need it and can walk in freedom. That's what Jesus does. He frees you. He liberates you from the entanglements of sin, the damning nature of sin. He restores our souls. Guys, that's what we're going we're gonna to do now. We're going to pray. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to sing. So can I just encourage you to stop and sit and reflect for a minute. Some of you guys have a bladder the size of a pea, and some of you guys are pregnant. I get it, right? Okay? Everybody else, everybody else. And I mean this in all seriousness. This is a serious thing. I see people take Lord's Supper, head outside, talk in the hallways. You can do that the rest of the afternoon. Just stop. Like take five, 10, 15 minutes. I mean, we're in here an hour and a half a week, and it's vital time to realign our hearts and our minds on the things that are true and not true and not buying the lies and placing our trust in the truth and seeing Jesus and beholding Jesus and loving Jesus. And just enjoy it. Ask God for a minute just to put your heart at rest. Some of you, you're, you're not Christians maybe and you've bought the lie that positive thinking, better psychology, empty meditations... All the gifts that God makes somehow bring you enlightenment, bring you peace.
The scriptures teach there's only one who restores your soul, who absorbs the wrath of God for you, who bears your sin and becomes your sin for you and gifts you his righteousness and frees you to live in true freedom and the fullness of life. That's Jesus, and praise God he brought you here to hear that. Ask him to help you to sit at his feet this morning for your heart to be open to who he is and what he's done. If you're a Christian and you're like me, plead with him to give you the discipline and courage and desire to sit at Jesus' feet first and be Martha second. Ask for his help. Father, I know, I know there are so many things left untangled in this. I know that even just the discipline of study and how to study and where and what and why. And God, I know that there are so many things that could even be questions. But would you just keep before us what you want before us? And that is you first, other things second. God, would the thing that drives us daily be communion with you first? Would the thing that we can't go without in our day be sitting at your feet? that the walk in the park would be put to the side, that the, the fun would be put to the side, that the Facebook would be put to the side, that Twitter would be put to the side, that even the good, godly, commendable things you call us into would be put to the side before we spend time with Jesus. God, help us. Holy Spirit of God, would you give us a desire to sit at your feet, a desire to, to want you, a desire to open up the Bible. God, would you create in us as a people, a people who love the Bible who love hearing from you, who love being with you. Help me, Father, to love being with you more than I do. Father, help me to go to you first beyond the the chore and checklist of my day. God, help me to, to grow in that and to mature in that. Would you do that, God, as it pleases you? In Jesus' name, amen.